Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Well, Merry Christmas and welcome to Stevens Creek Church. We're so glad that you're here uh, today. Let me ask you a question. How many of you are visiting from out of town? Anybody from out of town? Oh, man, welcome. Glad you're here this year instead of last year. Last year was like 20 degrees, and this is so much better. You know, when I think about Christmas and I think about traveling, you know, this traveling tradition uh, at Christmas time goes back even to uh, Joseph and Mary. They left Nazareth and went to Bethlehem, and so you're following in that tradition. You know, we have a lot of traditions during the holidays. I guess the most common tradition is putting up a Christmas tree. So let me ask you a question about your Christmas tree. How many of you like a live Christmas tree? Okay. All right, man, that's a lot. It said, Christmas is not Christmas until you have a fire hazard and you're in the living room, right? <laughs> yeah. How about the fake trees? You know, you got a little cobwebs, a little funky smell and all that stuff. How about a, like a fake tree? Okay. How about, uh, what kind of lights do you have? Do you like white lights, clear lights? How many of you like white, clear, everything clean, everything? Okay. How about you like the colored lights, you know, red and yellow? They're just flashing, every, all of that, yeah. Well, Patty and I have both of those. Uh, we've got a live tree with colored lights, and we've got a fake tree with white lights. We just embrace it all. We love the holidays. You know, one of the most recent traditions is the elf on the shelf. Have you heard of that one? The elf on the shelf is constantly watching you. It's interesting. Now, a few weeks ago, I came face-to-face with one. I went over to a, our grandkids' house for dinner one night, and there he was, Mr. Elf, and he's like creepy kind of weird, kind of watching you, every move you make. And then what was really weird is a few days later, he showed up at my house. And now he's watching me wherever I go, just watching us. And um, it's kind of creepy, but just when I thought everything was okay, the elf left one day without a word to say. It was really something. Then in his place, I saw who arrived. It It was Snoop on the stoop to try to keep the party alive. Yeah, there's Snoop. Now, you know Snoop has gone smokeless, and you might think that's kind of funny, but he's a little bit naughty because he still chews those gummies. (laughs) But in case you're looking for a doll that's a little bit more presidential, I definitely have one that's more essential. I mean, he's a bit orange, and his presence is huge. It's Trump on the stump saying, Miss, Merry Christmas to you. Yeah, there's a lot of crazy traditions out there. One of the crazy traditions that started in the 1980s is the tradition of wearing an ugly Christmas sweater. Now, how many of you have an ugly Christmas sweater? All right. How many of you are with a friend that has an ugly Christmas sweater? I was just kidding now. They don't know it, but you know it. Um, This year at our staff Christmas party, we decided to have a contest who can have the ugliest Christmas sweater. And so we all had the contest and I didn't win. I didn't even make the top three, but uh, the winner is Branton Treglong from our South Campus. He's South Campus pastor. Yeah, that's that's Branton there. 
Uh, let me, I learned something from there. You know, you can win the ugly Christmas sweater competition if you do three things. First of all, if you're willing to shop in the women's section of Walmart. <laughs> Secondly, if you're willing to spend $30. And third thing, if you're willing to lose all your dignity. <laughs> we love you, Brenton. You know, uh, Christmas can get ugly, and I'm not just talking about sweaters. Christmas can get ugly. I mean, it's a wonderful time of the year, but I'll tell you, traffic can be ugly. Man, traffic's, everybody, everybody's racing to one place or another, and it's, it's that. You know what else? Shopping can be ugly. I, but you say, oh, I don't do that shopping stuff. I, I, I order online. But, you know, there's porch pirates and that kind of stuff, and that can kind of get ugly. You know, finances can get ugly, too, because you've got this long Christmas list, and then you're, as you do that, your bank accounts get smaller and smaller. Sometimes family can get ugly. I mean, you gather for Christmas and you think, man, I've got to be with these people. I'm just with them at Thanksgiving. (laughs) Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year, but sometimes it can get ugly. Sometimes emotions can get ugly. Have you noticed how Christmas, it just magnifies everything that's going on inside? I mean, if you're happy and if you're joyful... I mean, Christmas is over the top. I mean, it just magnifies that. But if you've had a tough year and you've you've gone through some tough moments, I'll tell you, it magnifies the depths of those things too. When I think about it and I look back at the first Christmas, you know, the original Christmas was far, far from perfect. You know, so many times we look at the uh, Christmas scenes and we think, oh, it's such a hallmark moment. It's just such a... A special time. You know, we've got the holy family over there and everything is calm and peaceful. But you know, if you go back to the biblical story, you realize that that was a season of tension. It was a season of stress. It was a season of fear. When I look at the first Christmas story, I see people who are just desperately waiting for their world to change. I see Joseph was waiting to get married. I see Mary was waiting to have a baby. I see the shepherds were waiting for their shift to end. I see the wise men were waiting on a star. And Simeon and Anna were waiting for the Messiah. Everyone at that nativity was waiting for something. Let me ask you a question. This Christmas, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? You know, all of us are waiting for something. You know, some of you are waiting for the check to come in. Some of you are waiting to finish school. Some of you are waiting to get married. Some of you are waiting for the test results. Some of you are waiting for God to move. And here's what I know, that waiting can be hard. Waiting can be difficult. Waiting can be frustrating. It's like you're in that movie Groundhog Day and you're at the DMV and you're watching for your number to come over and over in the monitor, over and over, and it's frustrating And it seems like that you've been put in a holding pattern or maybe you've been placed in the waiting room. And there's one common feeling in the waiting room, and that is fear. And all of us have fears. Different kinds of fears. Some of you have this FOMO fear of missing out, and you want to be involved in everything. Other people have other types of more common fears, like maybe a fear of heights, or a fear of spiders, or maybe a fear of um, darkness, or afraid of speaking in public, like at the Rotary Club. 
Sometimes I have a fear of those three words, some assembly required. (laughs) That can be challenging. We all have fears. So how do you respond when fear comes knocking on your door? How do you respond when fear comes your way? Years ago, I heard an old proverb that says, fear knocked at the door, faith answered, and there was no one there. Fear knocked at the door, but faith answered, and there was nobody there. Through the years, Patty and I, my wife Patty and I, have, had, have been challenged to step out in faith on, on occasion. And each time that we've been prompted to step out in faith, there's a, a range of emotions. We've been nervous to do that. And at times, we've been fearful But every time I've stepped out in faith, I've noticed that there's this gap between where I am in a very comfortable place over here and then maybe where God wants me to go or what God wants me to do over here. And in between those two places, there's this gap in between that from my comfort zone to where God wants me to be. And I look at this gap and you typically have an opportunity to fill that gap with either fear or faith. Here's what I've learned, is that if I fill it with fear, fear can make you settle for what you already have. You stay back in your comfort zone, you just settle for what you already have, but if you fill it with faith, then you put your trust in Jesus, and I think he'll give you what you don't have. He'll give you a new life, a new opportunity, a new hope. When we look at the Christmas story, each one of the characters dealt with fear. Joseph was afraid. Mary was afraid. The shepherds were afraid. Even the wise men were so afraid they went home by a different route. Over the next few minutes, I want to talk to you about three of those characters and how they dealt with the fear. Mary was the first one. We've all seen paintings of Mary and how beautiful she is. And we've seen wonderful sculptures of her, the Virgin Mary. But however, her life was anything but glamorous. Mary was a young girl, most likely in her teens, when she, began, when she became engaged to that young carpenter there in Nazareth. Carpenter named Joseph. Now, Mary, in her heart, she's had such a tender heart and a sweet spirit, and she longed to do God's will, and God noticed her devotion. And because of that tenderness and that devotion to him, he chose her to be used in his plan. God sent an angel named Gabriel to meet with Mary. In this counter, encounter, when the angel showed up, I mean, it was scary. It was it was terrifying, and Mary was covered in fear, and the angel quickly said these words, Mary, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Then the angel said, Mary, uh, you're going to have a baby, and quickly her fears turned to doubts, and she said, how can I have a baby? I'm a virgin. And the angel responded in Luke chapter 1 and verse 37. It says, nothing is impossible with God. Think about those words. Maybe that is the very reason that you came to this service, just to hear that. Just for you to be reminded 
that there is nothing that is impossible with God. And that's the point, that there's hope for you this Christmas because there is nothing that is impossible with God. I don't know what you're going through, and I don't know the struggle or the strain, or I don't know your dreams or your hopes. Some of you feel like you're in over your head. Some of you feel like this will never be accomplished. What I've learned through the years is that when you think something is impossible, you're opening the door for God to move in your life because God is the God of the impossible. And so that angel said, Mary, just do not fear for nothing is impossible with God. I said, we're going to look at three characters. The second one is Joseph. Now, Joseph His story is told in the New Testament, the first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1. In the cast of characters, Joseph would be placed in a supporting actor role. He's not the main character, but without Joseph, Christmas would be much different than than it was. And when Joseph found out that his fiancee, Mary, was pregnant, it really rocked his world. He was disappointed, he was hurt, and he was confused. So in his mind, he decided just to walk away from it all. We see his story in verse 19 when he said, "But Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in his mind to divorce her quietly. He had it all figured out. He had thought about this. It made sense to him. Okay, this is what I'm going to do. But even though it made sense to him, it was not the right plan for him. Some of us have been in situations like that where we figure something out in our mind. And we've got it all neatly packaged, but it's just not the right plan. God wants to do something different. It may seem right to you, but there's another side of the story. There's your side, but then there's God's side. And that's where we have to be attentive to his voice and his promptings. Joseph was wrestling with this and he was confused and and God sent an angel to him in a dream. The next verse, he said, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, notice these words, do not be afraid. And she will... Have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Isn't it interesting that once again, fear is the culprit? And Joseph's fear confused the situation. But in verse 21, in this moment of Joseph's confusion, God brought clarity. And that's my prayer for you. Those of you that are struggling with your plans for the future, those of you trying to figure out what it means to live godly, and those of you trying to figure out what it means to own a business, and those of you that are trying to figure out what it means to to have a practice, that God brings clarity to you. I really believe that if you sincerely want God's will in your life, you're going to be given an opportunity to step out in faith. And I would say, step out in faith and start moving and be confident that God has the power to direct your footsteps. Too many of us try to figure it out first. We have our plan. 
But let me say this. I want you to plan, and I want you to have goals, but I want you also to leave room for God to move in your plan. You've got to leave room for the supernatural. You've got to leave room for God to to direct you. I love the words of the Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all that you do, and he will direct. He will show you which path to take. I said we're going to talk about three characters. Here's the third said. It's the, it's the shepherds. At this point, what do we know about the shepherds? We know that they're, they're good old boys. They're uh, good blue-collar workers. They uh, had normal kind of jobs. They're uh, taking care of the sheep. Now, they're out in the fields that night. They were not waiting for God. They were not even looking for God. They were just waiting for their shift to end. And while they were waiting, and then all of a sudden an angel appeared. Luke chapter 2, verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And notice this. They were terrified. Once again, we see the concept of fear come into play here, but this time it is a healthy fear. The shepherds are in awe of the glory of the Lord. They they had never seen the presence of the Lord before, and they were terrified. Can you imagine? Now, can you imagine if an angel showed up at your job? When you went back to work, man, that would be something. I mean, they're just doing their normal job, and an angel showed up. Now, we don't really know what that was like because they don't, uh, the shepherds really don't explain that part of it. But in the Old Testament, we see some angel encounters, and it's kind of interesting. Uh, a man named Daniel in the Old Testament had an encounter with an angel, and he took time to write about it. And he said uh, that uh, an angel appeared and had like a gold belt on. It was bright and shining. And when uh, the angel spoke, it was so riveting. It was like the sound of a vast number of waters or a large group of people. And it was so impressive that, the, that he fainted. And so here this angel speaks to these shepherds. And it said, the glory of the Lord shown round about them. What do we know about the glory of the Lord? The glory of the Lord is like the presence of God. Okay, in the Old Testament, when they were dedicating the temple, the, the presence of the Lord filled that place. It was so intense that the people who were carrying out the service, they couldn't even do that. They couldn't do anything because it, the presence of the Lord filled the place, and it was so intense that they fell back and they fainted. So we really don't know what the shepherd's response to that, but we can be guaranteed that it was uh, a response and it was an event that they would all, they would remember for the rest of their lives. But in the middle of this, the angel spoke to the shepherds. In verse 10, it says, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. This is the third time in this story that we have seen this command. Do not be afraid. Do you know that the phrase, do not be afraid, or fear not, is mentioned over 70 times in the Bible, at least in the NIV version of the Bible. I counted them. 70 times. Why is it mentioned so often? I believe it's mentioned so often because fear is the number one thing that keeps us from becoming the person that we were created to be. 
And what I've learned is that the closer I get to God and following in his path, it changes my relationship with fear. And I'm reminded that I have nothing to fear when God is near. So let's say that you're going to just thumb through the Bible and you're going to read the fear nots or the do not be afraid. What would that even look like? What would that even sound like? What if I spoke that over you? Here's what it would sound like. Fear not, for God is with you. Fear not, for your God hears you. Fear not, for the battle belongs to the Lord. Fear not, for God is coming to save you. Fear not, for he is here to help you. Fear not, for he will strengthen you. Fear not, for the Lord will protect you. Fear not, for he knows your name. Fear not, for he knows the number of hairs on your head, and he knows they're less today than yesterday. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the future. Don't be afraid of the secrets. Don't be afraid of the powers of humans or the powers of hell because he has overcome them once and for all. Don't be afraid because nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Don't be afraid because he has given you the victory and it is his pleasure to give you the kingdom. Don't be afraid because he is the first and the last and the alpha and the omega and the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords and death could not defeat him and the grave could not hold him and the world could not overcome him. We're not here celebrating Christmas because Jesus was born in a manger. We're here celebrating Christmas because Jesus died on a cross and he rose again on the third day, and that Jesus is our Savior. We continue with the shepherd's story in the next verse, verse 10. It says, do not be afraid, for I bring you good news that will cause great joy, that will be for all the people. Today, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is Christ the Lord. The lives of these shepherds would never be the same Because in the midst of their ordinary life, they were not looking for God, but God showed up. And when God showed up, everything changed. But have you ever wondered why? Why the shepherds? I mean, these shepherds lived out in the field most of the year. They were were dirty and they were smelly and, uh, and they were just common folks. Why is it? that they received the first announcement that a Savior had been born. Have you ever wondered that? Why? Why the shepherds? I think the answer to that is in verse 10. It says, do not be afraid, for I bring good news that will cause great joy. Notice this, notice this. That will be for all of the people. Notice that the birth of Jesus was not for a select few but it was for all the people. The birth of Jesus was for everybody. It was not just for those who were well-mannered and well-behaved, but it was for all the people. It was not just for those that have great marriages and and great families and, and wonderful careers, but it was for all the people. It was not just for those folks that have good credit scores and make good grades in school, but it is for all the people. 
You see, at Christmas, God was making a huge announcement that Christmas is for everyone. God was making a statement that it does not matter who you are and it does not matter what you have done, that Christmas is for you. Christmas is for everybody. Christmas is for all the people. It's for the wise men that came from the east bearing extravagant gifts like gold and frankincense and myrrh. And it was for the lowly and the humble shepherds that had very little to give. Then the angel told those shepherds, and this will be a sign unto you. You'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, peace, peace and goodwill toward men. So here we see the announcement, the birth announcement. We see that Jesus is born. We see that God's Christmas gift to you and me is Jesus. In John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. Jesus is God's gift, Christmas gift for you. You know, every gift has a story. Several years ago, my daughter Sarah gave uh, us a gift that has a real story behind it. And it's uh, a framed word art piece. And as we read the words on, uh, this, uh, in this frame, our heart went back, our minds went back, Oh, my goodness, 30-plus years. Here's the story. When Sarah was a little girl, let's say 18 months to, let's say, around 30 months, she was rambunctious. She wanted to be uh, the center of attention, kind of like today. She wants to be the center of attention. She was full of joy, and she was just, uh, everybody loved her. But she was so energetic, and when it would come time to go to bed, she just didn't want to go to bed. She wanted to be involved in everything that was happening. And so Patty would take this little girl and put her in uh, her arms and she would rock her and rock her and she would sing over her. In fact, Patty would sing one of the songs we sang at church. It goes like this. He is our peace who has broken down every wall. He is our peace. And Patty would sing that over her. And she's... Uh, uh, crying and everything, and then Sarah just would calm down, just calm down. She'd go in the next verse, cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. He is our peace. When, Pat, uh, when Sarah started having toddlers and started thinking about her story, she made that frame art for us but as a way of saying thank you. But I think about that. Patty would rock her and rock her and sing over her, and then she'd go to sleep, put her in the uh, crib, and pat her on the back. You, you parents, you know how that works. And then you try to tiptoe out of the room, or sometimes you get and crawl out of the room so they don't see you, okay? 
And then you get to the door and you close the door. And when we would close the door, she would stand up in that crib and scream and scream and cry. And she would say these words, peace broken down, peace broken down. And Patty would go back in there and sing that song, he is our peace who has broken down every wall. As I was thinking about that and that gift and that story behind the gift, I wondered how many of you have come to this Christmas Eve service and you feel like your peace has been broken down. That you look back over this past year and this past year has been so difficult, it's been so challenging that you never dreamed that you would go through what you've been through. And you made it to this Christmas Eve service hoping that the gift of Christmas of peace would come to your life well Jesus is here and he is our peace and I just want you to come to the place where you're open to him you're open to receive what he has for you because Jesus the gift of Christmas is Jesus and Jesus is our peace he is our forgiveness He is our hope for a better tomorrow. And I realize as I look at this congregation tonight that so many of you are so close to Christmas. In fact, you are about 18 inches away from Christmas. You're about 18 inches away from it. You know the story, you've heard it all of your life, and you intellectually understand it. But I want you to move it from your head to your heart, and that's about an 18-inch journey. And it only takes two words. And you know, sometimes two words can be the most powerful words that you ever speak. Sometimes we think that we need a long sentence before we'll be listened to. But honestly, these two words are powerful. Let me give you an example. Have you ever been to a wedding? You go to a wedding and you see the bride and the groom stand up and they give their vows. And then they say two words that make all the difference. Those two words are, I do. When they say, I do, it makes all the difference. Two words, powerful words. Have you ever been in a courtroom? The two most powerful words in a courtroom is not guilty. When those words go out, it's like a sigh of relief goes throughout the courtroom. Powerful words. When it comes to faith, when it comes to the Christmas message, when it comes to the baby born in a manger that lived a sinless life, that, that gave his life on the cross, who died on the cross, who was buried, and on the third day he rose again in order to buy our salvation. It only takes two words for you to move it from your head to your heart. And those words are simply, I believe. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And I believe that He is the Savior of the world. That's the message of Christmas, that Jesus Christ came 
to save us. Have you been saved? Have you ever invited Jesus to be the Lord and the leader of your life? If you've never been saved, today is your day. And this is the true meaning of Christmas, that Jesus came to save us. Now, some of you, you've thought about this, but you're worried about you hadn't done enough good deeds for that salvation to work. Folks, you don't understand. You don't have to do a bunch of good deeds to make an angry God happy with you. Just come and say, Jesus, help me. Jesus, save me. Jesus, forgive me. The two words, I believe. And if you can come to that place and you cry out and ask him, it will be the most life-changing thing you have ever done. Over the next few minutes, I want to give you an opportunity to think about that. You know, we started this message with a question. I said, this Christmas, what are you waiting for? And I want to say, there are some of you that you've been at Christmas at the Creek for the last 10 years or last 15 years, and you've heard me make this appeal time after time, and I'm saying to you today, what are you waiting for? Today is your day. Today is the day. For you to say, Jesus, save me. We're going to have a, a word of prayer, and I'm going to invite you to join with me in this prayer. I'm going to lead you in this prayer. So in just a minute, we're going to bow our heads, but let me tell you how that's going to happen. I realize that if you're new to church and you're new to this experience, it's it can be kind of challenging for somebody to say, hey, you need to pray this prayer. Here's what we want to do today. I want everybody in the room to repeat the prayer after me. Because this does two things. It, first of all, it reminds those that have prayed that prayer years ago that it takes you back to that, that day that you did that. But your voice and your words give encouragement to those who are praying this prayer for the first time. And so let's pray together. Let's bow our heads and just repeat after me. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. I believe that He died and rose again so that I could be forgiven and receive new life. Jesus, save me. Jesus, forgive me. Make me into the kind of person that you want me to be. Fill me with your spirit. I receive what you have for me. In Jesus' name. Father, I pray over this congregation. I pray over those watching online and those in our atrium. I pray that your presence would be strong in this moment. Lord, I pray that your peace would rest upon us. Those that are struggling with family issues, God, I ask that you would allow this holiday season to be one in which love is renewed and deepened. Father, I pray for those that are struggling with sickness and disease 
And it may be in their own body or it may be in the, a loved one. I pray right now that you would bring comfort, you would bring healing. We speak healing over you in Jesus' name. For those that are struggling to know God's will, and for those that are struggling to find purpose, Father, I ask that you would start to move them in direction that they are supposed to be. God, that you would open the doors that you would have them to walk through. Come, Lord, and bring your presence upon us all. God, we surrender our lives to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Just keep your heads bowed just for a second. How many of you prayed that prayer to receive Christ as your Savior for the first time? Let me see your hands all over this auditorium, just very quickly. Yes. Anybody else? All over. Yes. Still others back in the risers? Yes. Amen. Congratulations. Everybody can look up now. God bless you. Let's welcome these into the family of God. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to stevenscreekchurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.